0: We ask You, Holy Spirit, that You would come and touch every heart in this place. We ask You, Lord, to bring healing to those in need of healing, to bring peace in the midst of chaos and anxiety. And Father, deliverance for those that to be, be set free by the blood of the Lamb. Father, we you lift Your holy name up. Lord, our hearts today as we worship You are focused upon You. But we pray for these that have been mentioned, especially those who have lost their kiddos there in Uvalde. Ask you to cover those families, cover those friends, cover that area, Lord, with your comfort and peace, the very presence of your Spirit. And we ask you today, Father, that as we come together, knowing today that our lives change when we enter, enter into a realm of worship that we've never experienced before, So, Lord, we ask you today that you would come and make that. Do that in our lives this day. Do a mighty work at Lighthouse Fellowship as well as all churches. Lord, we're not. We want all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and how great you are. And so, Lord, we've come to meet with you, to encounter you. And so, Lord, come in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, we've been talking about worshiping. All of us here want to be a worshiper because we were created to worship. Amen? That's why we're here, to worship the King. And last week we talked about what does worship look like? What is a model for worship? And we looked mainly in the book of Revelation as far as what exactly how they're worshiping the Lord. And the Bible talks about 10,000 times 10,000 around the throne that are worshiping day and night. And what does that mean when those that are worshiping God cry out, Blessed the Lord is who was and is and is to come. And, and they're singing, they're shouting, they're praising God. And they're worshiping the King. So we've been on a journey about talking about worship. Because again, if this is why we're created, We need to know what worship is all about, don't we? And worship is about God Almighty, not about me. It's not about the service. It's not about the music. It's not about our day-to-day activities, although these things are great. It's about God. One day, our focus will continually be upon Him. And obviously, there won't be the distractions as we believe and we have and we see today. But right now, this is what's happening, obviously, as we go through life. And because many times that our life is cluttered with many things, uh, I would ask the question, are we worshiping? Are we here? And so I talked about the fact that, that you can't live like the devil during the week and then come in here on Sunday morning and worship the king. Amen? You know that. We know that we have the worship. We have, Worship is a continual thing in my life and your life. It's not just take doesn't just take place in the, quote, worship services here each and every Sunday and at other times, but it's every day. And I've told you what my desire is, and I know it's your desire, and that is that to walk in the presence of the Lord 24-7, the manifest presence of the Lord. And we started with the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Moses is leading the Israelites out of the land of captivity, out of Egypt, everybody knows. And maybe saw the movie, The Ten Commandments. You've read the scripture. And Moses says, if you don't go, I want, I want to tell the people, when people ask me, uh, who's bringing us up out of here? I want to be able to tell them who is actually leading us. And God said, tell them, I am. That's all he said, I am. And he would say that to you and I today. Because he would say, whatever the issue is today, I am the obviously the solution. I am the one that can, can take you through whatever you're facing in life today. I am. I am covers it all. And so obviously theologically and obviously experientially, the Israelites understood who I am was. They knew it was God, Jehovah God. And so God, Moses went on to say, well, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't bring us up from here. I'm not going if you don't go with me. And we sort of ran a parallel with our lives and saying the same thing. Lord, if you're not in it, I don't want to be a part of it, right? If you're not walking with me each and every day, then, you know, I don't really want to do anything apart from you and your presence. And so Moses is obviously, I believe, giving us some wonderful instruction as far as how we're to live our Christian lives and how we're to walk with the Lord each and every day and how we would do that. And what would make the difference when we see people out here who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And what would be the difference in your life, my life, and their lives? And that's what Moses was saying. How would they know that we're different from all the other people today? And then he goes on to say something very important that we know we've been praying for, and that is, he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And I've mentioned to you and how that operates and how that will be and be revealed in each of our lives. And that's a personal thing. It can be a corporate thing, certainly here, as God begins to show us his glory, as he begins to open our hearts to his presence, his manifest presence. I'm not just talking about the omnipresence of God, because God is everywhere and God is with us. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I'm talking about the tangible manifest presence of the Lord, the glory of God. And then one of the particular lessons that I taught on, and that was when the tent of meeting, the Israelites were camped out, and Moses needed a place to get away, so they had a tent outside the camp where the main activity was taking place. And that tent was called the tent of meeting. And Moses would go in that tent and commune and have fellowship with the Lord and, and share with the Lord and, and talk with the Lord. And, 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 and he was a friend of God, the Bible says. And so the Bible says that there, as uh, he went in, the glory, the cloud came down and actually fixed itself there in front of the tent, the door of opening at the tent of meeting, which is symbolic, the glory of God. And all the people would see that cloud there at the tent and they would come to the door of their tent and they would worship the Lord. And so it's teaching us something I think so very important in our Christian life as far as our walk with the Lord. Because our walk with the Lord is not just about our head knowledge. Our walk with the Lord is experiential. It's an experience because God is God. And so I talked about the fact that Moses would go with, uh, Joshua would go with Moses there. And remember, Moses would eventually leave after he'd had spent time in the presence of the Lord. And Joshua wouldn't leave. He just wanted to stay in the glory of God. He just wanted to stay in the presence of God. And I said this. Because the word of God is true. And that is one day we'll dwell in the manifest presence of God 24 hours, seven days a week. Amen. We will be in God's glory continually. And it will be beyond anything that we could ever imagine. But I said, Lord, you've shown us all these things. And why can't we get a taste of that in the here and now? Why can't we experience you in that way here and now? And so we've begun on that journey of asking the Lord, show us your glory, Lord, so that we can worship you. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that we are changed from glory to glory. That when we encounter the glory of God, we're actually changed. And I know I'd ask this question to everybody here today, is you want to change and be more like Jesus? Everybody would say, amen, Jim. Yes, indeed. Well... It takes place when we encounter God, when we meet with God, when we come together, even corporately or in your quiet time or any time it may be, God can meet with you in your heart. But there's something that happens and it's supernatural because God is a supernatural God. And so when God reveals his heart to you and me and our heart connects with God's heart, as it may be said, is something supernatural happens and we begin to worship the King. Because why? Because we realize who He is. Because we have a vision in our hearts that He's great and He's awesome and He's more powerful and beautiful than we've ever, ever imagined and encountered in our lives. And that's what worship is all about. It's about encountering God. And I know in your heart, my heart too, my heart is hungry for God. Amen. Our hearts are hungry and craving and desperate for God because that's the, He's the only one who can change things. Whether we look at the circumstances in our culture today that we were talking about earlier and the hatred and the evil that we see, only the glory and presence of God can come in and change people's hearts and we need His presence desperately. Amen. We need His heart. We need His presence to move again in a, such a powerful way. That we're not the same. I don't want to remain the same. I want to be changed. To be more like Jesus Christ. I want to walk in. I want to be more loving. And I want to be more giving. I want to be more sacrificing. I want all the things who Jesus was when he gave his life at Calvary. He laid down and gave the ultimate sacrifice. And giving his life at Calvary. Amen. But only the glory of God can bring that about. And so this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the question is, are we really worshiping? Are we really worshiping? And the word really is in capital letters all the way across. Because I've been pondering this. I've been looking at the fact that, that when I come in here, and maybe you can, can come and walk along beside me, is when I come in and is my heart really wanting to, to meet with God? Or is my mind on everything else except for who God is? Am I really wanting to come and worship? Or am I going through the motions of sort of like a religious ritual that I go through each week? Because you would say, well, you do that, Jim, because you're the pastor, okay? But are we doing that? Are we just coming in here and we're going through the motions and sort of like not connecting with God, not meeting with God, not encountering Him? When I lift my hands in prayer and I think, well, Lord, here I am. And so for Ben, am I really focused on Him? Does He have my complete attention? Does He have my all when I come in here? Because why? Because it's all about Him. All of it's about Him. But does He have all of me? Have I, Lord, just given Him my life? Giving Him my all in all? Have I took inventory of my life to say, Lord, am I really becoming a worshiper of You Or a worshiper of what, maybe somehow something I want to be. Or am I coming with my own agenda? And maybe not coming in one of your agenda. Am I coming to say, okay, and we talked about it last week. Am I in control here in this service? And I don't want to be in control. I want Jesus. I want the Spirit of God to come and take and be in control in this place. I don't want to be. I want God to come and touch us like we've never been touched before. I don't want to just obviously know again about Jesus here in my mind. Although I know he loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. But I want to know him intimately and deeply. And that means I have to meet with him. That means that I have the encounter with him. And so I did an inventory. I began to search in my heart this past week. And I said, Lord, am I really worshiping you? Am I really coming To meet with you. Or am I coming because this is what I've done. And this is what my calling is. To come before a group of people. And to share the word of God each week. Have I come back. And have I lost that. That love. And you could say. Have I lost my first love. And my first love is Jesus Christ. And him alone. Have I walked away. Have I wandered through the things. That life presents to me. In one way or another. And I've sort of like compromised here and there. To a point to where it's like a slippery slope. And I've gotten far away from you. I had to do an inventory. I said, Lord, I want to come back. I want to return. I want to come back and I want to be a worshiper of you because that's why you've created me anyway. That's why you've placed me here. That's why I was born to be a worshiper of God. Am I doing that? And so maybe in the day and these things we talk about that maybe you'll take inventory. When you leave this place Today, that maybe you'll take inventory and say, "Lord, have I have I really left my first love? Have I wandered away from those things that really I know should be a priority in my life, and become and allowed other things to come in and take it in your place?" Maybe it'll be a good time to be able to uh, to be able to take inventory. So I want to talk about are we really worshiping? I want you to think about it. Also, I'll share a story with you about that. Paul Harvey tells a story about an attractive airline stewardess who was being hounded by two flirts, one at the front of the plane and the other at the back. She was obviously very put off by the very forward advances being made by the two men, but she kept right on doing her job. And near the end of the flight, one of the men became particularly bold, and as the plane was about to land, he handed her a key to his apartment and said, See you tonight. And so she took those keys and then she walked to the back of the plane and handed them to the other flirt and winked and said, don't be late. (laughs) You ever been disappointed? You ever had a disappointment when somebody that obviously you were looking for didn't show up? Maybe obviously is the way that they were invited. And sometimes I believe that the way we invite God in our life, in our circumstances, in our time, here, even in these moments that we have together corporately. And sometimes I believe it's obviously about how we invite Him. We prepare to, to receive when He shows up. And so, obviously, the context here is in the book of 1 uh, Samuel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And if you all put that up there, please. And basically, I'll give you a synopsis of this. Eli obviously had been a judge or a priest for Israel for many years. and remember his sons were in rebellion with the Lord. And remember what was happening? Eli was obviously not making correction in his sons' lives, and they had drifted away. Eli was not taking the appropriate actions to take care and discipline his sons. And so obviously, the presence of the Lord was pretty much a rarity. In fact, this period in Israel's history was also a period of time when God was not speaking to his people very often. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon here. And so what was happening was the spiritual leaders were corrupt, and God's people were not obeying his law, and so why should he say anything else to them if they weren't going to obey what he told them to begin with? And it seems that since men were not listening to God in those days, that God simply didn't bother to speak to them at all. So this lays the groundwork for what we're going to talk about today. And I want you to examine your hearts as we talk about this. This is not obviously an educational seminar, although we will be educated as a result because the Word of God is living and active and is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it will obviously, it will continue to, to go right to your conscience divides us, and shows us what truth really is. But it's about how we're living our lives. And it's about how important the glory of God is. So we'll read it. If you'd like to stand while we read it, you're welcome to do that. It's 22 verses. And we'll read God's Word. You can read it with me together, if you would, please. And Samuel's Word came to all of Israel. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. And when the soldiers returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? And let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hopni and, and Phaedas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all of Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. And hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp The Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said, and we're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. And woe unto us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. And so the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great, and Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hotni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. And when he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. And when the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. And Eli heard the outcry and asked, What is the meaning of this uproar? And the man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes were set so that that he could not see. And he told Eli, I have just come from the battle line and I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, What happened, my son? And the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your sons Hopni and Phinehas are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had led Israel 40 years. And his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, and near the end of delivery, when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went in labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the woman attending her said, don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Thank you. Let's go back and look at what's being said here. So I'll bring us up the date. They ask, obviously, the right question. Why did God let us be defeated? But unfortunately, they draw drew the wrong conclusion. Another problem that they had was they asked themselves why it, ha- it happened and didn't ask God why they were defeated. They were defeated bad. And so sometimes we wrong... we. De- sometimes arrive at wrong conclusions because we haven't bothered to ask God why stuff happens the way that it does. Because we just go on and things are happening around us and we never go back and say, God, what's going on here? Because when we go to God and we ask, Lord, what's happening here? Why has all this come upon us? God may show us something and we're going to get to that in just a moment about what is happening here. Because, as you said, at the very end, the glory of God had departed from Israel also. Earlier in the history, God had assured Israel victory over their enemies as long as they kept His commandments and obeyed Him. But if they stopped to evaluate the way that they had been living, they would have had, obviously, an answer for their defeat. They were living in rebellion to God. They were living in rebellion to God here. And so after losing the first battle, they decide that the reason that they lost the first battle was, obviously, is God wasn't with them. And so they said, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. We know what the Ark is. I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. And let's bring the Ark of the Covenant in that God would be with us. And so they, they went and got the Ark. And basically what they were doing was trying to manipulate God. They were saying, God We've gotten ourselves into a mess, and now we want you to get out of, out of this mess. So obviously, they noticed they didn't, they, they didn't say God save us, but they, they obviously said the ark would save us. So they had their focus on the wrong thing. They thought that just bringing the ark in there that was symbolic of God's presence would actually be what saved them, not God himself. They had lost sight of who God is. They weren't worshiping God Almighty. The ark had become a good luck charm. It had become a a genie in a bottle. And you know, a good luck charm obviously is a lot easier to use than to encounter the living God. You see, a good luck charm won't challenge you to examine the way that you're living. A good luck charm won't hold you accountable. A good luck charm won't love you. And a good luck charm won't die for your sins either. And this is the way they were treating the ark of the presence, symbolic of the presence of God. Now, there was certainly there where God, where people could touch the ark and so forth. But certainly, we know that that was symbolic of God's presence and all. And they just thought, well, let's go get the ark. Because this is why we obviously lost the battle. And the ark will save us not repenting and turning to God and saying, God will save us. Let's bring that piece of wood they brought in and all and how it was built. So I want to look at the the ark a little bit if you've ever had. I didn't bring up a picture of this. I wish I had. It was actually four feet long and two feet high and two feet feet wide. It was made of wood and it was overlaid with pure gold. And on the top of the ark was a, a solid slab there called the mercy seat. And in the ark were the tables of God's law. And over the mercy seat were the cherubim with their wings outstretched there from one side to the other. So it was symbolic of all of this. And the ark was the most sacred piece of furniture in the temple. And it was kept behind a veil, remember? That only once a year the high priest could go in behind the wall into the Holy of Holies and obviously make atonement and ask forgiveness for the sins of the people, remember? Remember? And remember there, they put a rope on the priest's leg. As long as the bell was ringing, they knew the priest was moving. When the bell stopped ringing, they thought, "Uh uh-oh, the priest has been struck down, right? In the very presence of God. Symbolic of the presence of God. So the people obviously had their focus on the wrong thing instead of coming before the Lord. They had their eyes upon the ark, the symbol there. Now, there are a lot of symbols in Christendom. And there's nothing wrong with wearing a cross around your neck. Nothing wrong with that at all. But sometimes when I've talked to people who are wearing a cross around their neck, they basically have no idea who Jesus Christ is. They have no idea about the real meaning of the cross. They have no real idea about some of these symbols that we obviously, some people participate in. And lighting candles, nothing wrong with that to focus your prayer. But when you begin to obviously just sort of worship the candle or that cross around your neck and not worship the living God, then we've got our focus off. Okay, There are a lot of symbols in Christianity today that people. Nothing wrong with that if it causes you to have a focal point for your worship. This is what they were doing. They were worshiping the ark and not worshiping the king himself. See, the reason why I started this is because one thing God has impressed upon me all of my walk with Him is basically is, Jim, I want you to know me. I don't want you to know just that we think it's a bunch of rules and regulations to be a Christian. Guess not what it is at all. He said, I want you to know me. And when you know me, there's freedom in knowing me personally and intimately. And so that's what we're talking about as we begin to continue to to talk about what worship is. It's knowing God. Knowing God. One day we will be in His manifest presence. One day we will be in His presence all the time. We will face Him face to face. We will see Him. How glorious He is. How beautiful He is. We will see the One that gave Himself for our sins and took the sins of the world upon Him. We will face Him face to face. He wants us to know Him in the here and now. And when I started this journey and started looking and I'm going, Lord, I want to worship you the way that we're going to worship you in heaven. Why wait until when I take my last breath? I know I'm going to worship you then. Why not? Because I believe this life is nothing but a preparation time anyway for what we're going to do when we get to heaven. Amen? I believe it's time that we prepare. And that's part of that. Most importantly is that we worship the king. In that Ark of the Covenant, obviously you know as Aaron's staff, which was used to part the Red Sea. Remember the story? And then also a jar of manna. Remember the bread that was supplied daily as the Israelites wandered in the desert? They were fed, and they were fed real well, certainly. And then there were the stone tablets there, which had written on them God's requirements there. They were in the ark and so forth. But the ark was a symbol of God's holiness and presence and power. And so the Israelites' answer to their losing dilemma was, Bring bring God to us in a box, right? Don't we put God in a box a lot of times? We think that He's gonna do something our way, and He shows up and does something completely different than what I thought He was gonna do. And sometimes we look at it, and sometimes we're kind of disappointed. Why? It's like that little story, of Paul Harvey. We're disappointed because God didn't do what we thought He would do. He's operating in your life and my life, and He's never inactive, let me tell you. He's working in your life and my life right now, and He's working all things out for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But sometimes He doesn't do things like I want Him to do. We want God in a box. We put Him in a box. We say, God, you can go this far with this with my life and and so forth, but I'll handle the rest of it, please. Thank you. This is what they were doing, you see. They were not seeking the will of God. They were not walking by faith, and they certainly weren't seeking to glorify God. They just said, bring me in a box. Bring God in a box. Help me out of this dilemma, Lord, please. Because I've gotten in such a mess. You know, God gets us out of messes, doesn't He? Thank God He does. But He wants that worship. He wants us to come to Him and recognize who He is. He wants us to obviously to take that day by day, moment by moment and recognize who He is in our lives and not just run to Him when we're in trouble. He wants us in that daily communion, daily relationship, in and out of whatever it may be. Because when you do hit trouble, when the storms come in your life, we know where our anchor is. Our anchor of hope is in Jesus Christ and He never lets us go. He'll take us through whatever it is we face in life. But if we are not prepared, our anchor may not be anchored down and we may be shifted to and fro in the waves of life because I want to tell you, things are not getting easier. But He's saying today, we need to know Him, you see. Not a genie in the bottle. At our service, He's certainly there. But he wouldn't allow the Israelites to use him. He wouldn't let us either also. And so are we putting God first in our lives? Summoning God only when we need him? Or maybe when all else has failed? You know, sometimes when I I get in a bind or whatever it may be, and I try to work things out, and it just doesn't seem to work out, and finally God gets my attention and he says, Jim, would you just pray to me? Would you call out to me? And I go back and I call out to him. And things begin to change. Have you all noticed that? Things begin to change, don't they? But I try to work it all out myself until I finally come to the end of myself and I finally recognize, Lord, I'm going to cry out to you. And you know things change then. What is obviously our agenda when we come to church? To do our own thing or to meet with God. What is it? And again, are we really worshiping? Are we coming in saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to meet with you. You're most important. Get everything out of my mind. Let me concentrate on you. Let me worship you, the king, because you are worthy of my worship. You're the one I love. You're the one that I want. I long to look on the face of the one that I love. His name is Jesus. And every now and then he gives us a, a glimpse of that. They shouted there. You heard them saying they shouted when the ark came in there. They had uh, sounds of praise. They had the appearance of worship. But their hearts weren't in it. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Listen to the word of God. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths and, obviously, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, I know traffic can sometimes get on your nerves. and Sometimes it's like it takes me a while to settle down. But please, get here early enough to where you can settle down. Because God is worth it. He's worth it. It's worth encountering Him and knowing Him and coming in and saying, Lord, and I've asked You to come in when You do and sit and ask the Lord, I've come to meet You, Lord. I've come to encounter You. I've come to worship You, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what we're here for, folks. Nothing else. Fellowship, He's put us together because of that. Most of all, it's because we're in meet with God Almighty. Then, obviously, you know what? The Philistines said, well, you, we better fight. We better fight because we know that we re, we realize we have the history here. The Israelites, are some bad people, and they're going to destroy us and make them... Uh, they'll make us their slaves, certainly here. But something happened. Then they got real bold. What was it that caused them to get real bold? And they changed their minds. And they went out and just... Whipped the Israelites bad here. I believe it was because a fake religion won't fool people for too long. In other words, we can fake it for a little while. We can fake it, but unless something down real in our lives that we've been touched by God's power and His presence in our lives, when we get out there, eventually what that fake is, then eventually it just diminishes and we just like everybody else. That's worshiping God. The result of the battle were they were defeated again. We need Jesus, not religion. You need Jesus, not more church. You and I need Jesus. We need Jesus. This place here. I don't need to get more churchy. I don't get need to get more religious. I don't get to, certainly need more rules and regulations. I need Jesus and so do you. So does the world. The only answer is Jesus Christ and Him Crucified. And resurrected. He's the only one. That's what we need. Not religion. Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with the living God. I believe, obviously, that the presence of God had already gone from that nation there. It already left. They didn't even realize it. God's power, obviously, is gone long before we realize it. When our plans have failed, our lives have crashed and burned and our dreams have imploded. When our lives are obviously all going wrong, the real issue lies obviously in our own integrity. Not in what God isn't doing. The fault lies with us, not with God. And that's why they went in and said, hey, they've taken the the ark. Eli did not bring correction to his son. He should have. He fell over, died, broke his neck. Once the glory is gone, worship's empty, lifeless, and useless. Why did the glory depart? Why did the glory depart? The laves given birth? Said Ichabod, which means the glory has departed think about it for just a moment. I'm going to linger just a second. Why did the glory depart? And I'm going to tell you. Because they lost the fear of God. I'm not talking about being afraid in that sense. But they lost their reverence for God. They did not revere Him any longer. While what happened in Uvalde and what we're seeing at schools around the country and beyond is happening today in this country, anybody want to guess? It's because we have walked away and forgotten the fear of God. We don't fear God anymore. We don't have respect for Him. We don't have a reverence for Him anymore and when the fear of God leaves the glory goes and what does God do at that time because the glory obviously comes and changes people the glory melts people's hearts to say to love one another as he has loved us the glory of God changes us makes us more like Jesus that loved people went around blessing people today we've got an angry culture out there today There are more shootings because of road rage than I've ever seen before. Simply because somebody did something or made a wrong turn or whatever and then they find they've lost their lives. Because why? We've lost the fear of God, folks. And this is why the glory has departed. Have a respect for God. Lost that fear. You see, here's the real reason. God doesn't just want part of our lives. He wants to come in and take over. He wants to come in my life, in your life, and He wants to come back in the church house and take over. Not just say, hey, we'll give Him a little time here on Sunday morning. He wants every day. He wants our lives. He wants to come and consume us. And is that our prayers today? Come and consume us with your holy fire, God, because I feel like the glory has departed. The only way. There's No other way. They treated the ark as a magical object of good luck charm here. I'll ask you a question. How's your reverence for God? Do you have a sense of awe and humility when you seek His presence and face? Or do you treat Him like your pet or magic genie? When you say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, do you reverence Him? Do you praise Him? Have you experienced Him? Do you know Him? If you haven't, then seek Him with all of your heart. Because in Jeremiah 29, He says, when you seek Me with all your heart, I will be found by you. How's your hunger for God? How's your hunger? Do you hunger for Him? Do you thirst for righteousness? Do you want to know Him above everyone? Do you does He first place in your life, or is everything else coming in because we're a busy society? What is the question? Have we examined? Take an inventory. Look at my life. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know Him. What about obviously your private tolerance of sin? Sin. It's choosing less than God's best. Choosing what He says we should avoid. And He tells us this for our own good. When we compromise there, we choose our own way. We think we know better. Or simply we take shortcuts. But it always ends up the same. We always get caught in a bondage. Sin wraps its ugly tentacles around us and we try to ignore it or refuse to acknowledge it there. There. And yet it tightens its noose upon us. And so God's glory departs from our lives because we tolerate sin. See, Israel was tolerating sin. It's the same for us today. We're tolerating things today. We're tolerating. And we've seen the changes in my lifetime in your lifetime that have taken place to cause this nation to go away from God. And people say, oh, well, God and religion and, 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 the, and obviously politics need to stay separate. No, they don't. When they talked about that being separate, he talks about obviously that there would not be a state church that would take place. He didn't say anything about that. We need godly men and women in places of authority that will put those important things into law, that will reflect God's image. Not somebody who wants abortion right up to the ninth month or after the time the baby is born. Because you call it like it is it's murder. People don't call sin, sin anymore because they say, I made a mistake. No, it's sin. And God says He won't tolerate it. Tolerate it my life or your life. And see, it comes in and it's real subtle. Most most of us obviously obviously battling or ended up hating the sin that so easily besets us. But we hate it. But it's there. People... Don't want to submit for prayer when we have prayer time up here. And we need prayer, folks. We need to be down at the altar praying and asking God to have mercy upon us. We need to repent. What happened to the old-fashioned altar calls? People came forward and they cried out to God and said, God, if You don't forgive us, we're going straight out of here. See, because we became accustomed to it. You see, it's like the frog in the boiling water. And the water's getting hot. Continuing to get hotter and hotter. That's why we tolerate. That's why the glory departs. That departs from our life and departs from your life. We tolerate anything in our lives here. God, obviously, many times the idea is God will bless us in spite of our disobedience, and He won't. If we bring God into the picture while we're disobeying Him, He will engineer our failure. Cause why? For our good. For our good. He wants to get our attention. God's interesting it, it is not in covering sin, but exposing sin. Sin is what alienates us from God in the first place. Sin is what destroys your life here. So I want to ask a question today. What is keeping you from His presence? Are there things in your life today? And I'm not talking about today things that maybe are blatant, but I'm talking about things that are underlying. Because we can fake our spirituality very easily. I can come in with a facade. But you know your heart and so does God. And so he's looking at my heart here. They were pretending, you see. What's missing is the glory. The tangible presence of God. Because obviously we're faking it. We're worshiping superficially without our hearts being in it. We're just mouthing. That's why I take inventory. It's what started this? Because I look at my life and say, "Lord, where where am I faking it? Where am I just sort of like acting real spiritual? Because I'm the pastor, and not my heart is not given over to you." That's what happens. You see, things well, I'm not out in blatant sin and so forth, but actually, you see, um, anger, gossip, gossip. All these things are a part of it. You gossip, slander. You say things. You begin to talk about this and that and it comes out real easily. And God is saying, I don't like it, I hate it. It's an abomination to me. God loves you and me with a deep and abiding love. And He desires that you have a relation an intimate worship with Him. He desires and longs for you to know Him. But do you desire and long to know him? Are you willing to cry out to him to consume you? Will you admit, confess, that you haven't hungered and thirsted for him? We confess that you don't have him all figured out. We acknowledge that you haven't sought him in prayer. We acknowledge that you haven't completely forsaken sin. There's something that you like to hold on to. God has shown it to you. If you go and get along with the Lord, He'll show you. Take Him the door. He'll show you. You're faking it. It looks real spiritual. It looks real good to the church folks. Nobody knows what's down in my heart except God does, and I do. And God is saying today, you want the glory to return? You want the glory? You want to walk in my manifest presence every day? you want to know me intimately the way I desire, and you know that's good, that's real good, then you really have to do it God's way. He's saying, your way, it ain't going to work. But if you want my way, you want to know where life is? It's in giving our lives over to Him and letting, uh, letting Him change us no matter where you are in life doesn't make any difference how old I am or how young I am. He takes us where we are. Thank God, we're God's children. But He's saying today, He's doing a mighty work. But the question is, do we want that? Will you confess that you haven't desired God above anything else? Everything. Will you get desperate for Him today? His fire, His refining fire calls each of us to Himself. Will you come to Him broken? And say, well, our worship obviously grows stale. So does our passion for God. Worship is the furnace of the spiritual life. When it gets stale, saying something not right, go back and take inventory. Go back and look. And you say, yeah. But see, what's happening is when we look at the New Testament, Jesus is talking to Christians. <laughs> He's talking to believers, you and I. Paul, the, the epistles of Paul. He's talking to Christians today. He's talking in 1 John. He's saying if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But He's saying today, you've got to confess. You've got to run to Him. You've got to ask Him for the cleansing. And sometimes that takes a body. The Bible says that we are confess our sins one to another that we may be healed, in fact. You, how much? Have you heard any of that? Confessing your sins one to another. Well, what if someone hears that? What if somebody else knows about it? It sets you free. Don't leave it in the dark because in the dark, it holds power over you. But when you bring it out into the light, it just takes it away. And you realize people are not going to walk away from you. People are not going to mock you. People are not in any way going to abandon you and neither will Jesus. In fact, His Word of, his word tells us to do that. But we hang on. Go through the motions. And I want real worship. Are we really worshiping? One man says, Worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It wets our appetite. Our need for God is not taken care of by engaging in worship. It deepens it. It overflows the hour and permeates the week. Worship. The glory had departed. Ichabod. Written over the door. The glory changes us. God's glory. It's not just Old Testament. It's glory. We'll be in the glory of, of Jesus for eternity when we meet him. But he does these things in our lives. Why? It's because he wants you to know the richness of a relationship with him. And nothing else is going to satisfy Nothing else is going to do. All the money in the world, all the things in the world, don't satisfy. Some of the richest people in the world, in the world have said, "I just want if I can I felt all my life that if I just earned one more dollar, then then I would be satisfied. Some of the richest people, they earned that dollar, and they said it didn't satisfy. Jesus is the only only one that can satisfy. His presence in your life and my life. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going up from here. We're not moving. And I don't want to move from this place because in some way or another, that there's sin in my life. And I know you feel the same. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you today that uh, you're doing a mighty work that we're just grateful for. And Lord, we're asking you, don't stop. Don't stop, Lord. We pray that we would not grieve the Spirit of God, but Lord, don't stop. We ask you to do what you have desired, What you started, Lord, we know that you said you'll finish. We ask you, Lord, you started it, I believe. Your Word, Lord, started it. Jesus started it. And we ask you today, Lord, to complete what you started. Thank you, Lord, today for your presence in our lives. You Don't go with us. We're not going up from here. Not moving. We want to see your glory, Lord. We want to see your glory. We're desperate for you. We're hungry and thirsty for you, Lord. We desire you and you alone. And we ask you to come and fill us with that holy, Lord, passion for you and you alone. And remove everything else from our hearts and lives. Because we know if they take your place in one way or another, we know it's an idol. And we know, Lord, that you detest idols. So, Lord, tear them down. Whatever it may be. It could be things, Lord, we know very subtle Help us to take inventory by the power of Your Spirit. And dear Lord, today come to You and walk in that freedom that You've promised as we trust and we walk with Jesus. Father, today, whatever the issue may be, anybody here that's got anything going on in their life, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a, a bondage, maybe it's just something that is a habit, Maybe it's just something you're saying, Lord, it's just not right. I pray today in the name of Jesus that by your power, you come and break those things. Break them now, Lord. Break them now. And remove them from our lives. Because you are the Lord of freedom. And you set the captive free. We pray today, Father. That we would cry out to you. Knowing that You're faithful, Lord, and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Remove it from my life, Lord. Remove all things from my life. Those things that I don't even know about. Known sin, unknown sin, known sin, sins of commission, sins of omission. Remove them, Lord, because they alienate me from You. Take them away and, Lord, today... Come and replace that, those with your glory and your presence, O oh Lord. Your abiding love and life forevermore. Lord, we ask you to do that today. Every person here, I take authority over these things that may be working and operating in your life. That you're saying, I just want it, I want to be free, I want to know you, Lord. I take authority over these things right now in the name of Jesus. And I break its power over you. Every entity that's an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take authority over right now. Some of you have lost the joy of the Lord. Some of you have lost the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. You don't have joy down deep in your heart. You know that song we sing as kids? I've got the joy, 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 that deep in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I knew y'all would know that. Some of you have lost that. And, and God is saying today. He wants to restore that joy. Okay. That's who he is. That's who he is. He wants to restore that joy down deep in your heart. And that joy is so wonderful. in knowing we can walk. No matter what you face in life. No matter what adversity. No matter what it may be. God says, I'm in the business of restoration. Amen. Restoration. Because he's a God. He's an awesome God. He's fa- our Father to us. And he loves you and me so dearly. He just wants us to come. Father, restore us. We need returning. We just return. We cry out. If we haven't hungered and thirsted after the righteousness the way we believe, we know you're calling us to, then Lord, work it in our hearts by your Spirit. If, Lord, we strayed off the path you've had set before us and and somehow we just real subtle, Lord, bring us back. We confess. We've wandered. And we want to come back. Everyone, Lord, today is a part of this because they're here by your divine providential will. And so, Lord, thank you for your presence in this place this day. We pray that you'd be glorified and honored in everything we do in this church, Father. Get our lives better. Right with you. That we'll be right at the center of your will. And we'll exalt and worship the King. His name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.